0: All right. Well, great singing this morning. I like that last little chorus we sang. You know the verse in Philippians chapter 1, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we're going to take some time now to look at God's Word. Freddie's going to come and read to us from 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we are going to go back and finish up the chapter that we started last week. And I'm very excited about this. So he's going to read some of the verses that were read last week and catch up. So, Freddie, you come, read to us from God's word.
1: But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it towards all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words.
0: All right, before we dismiss the children out to junior church, I just wanted to make a quick note. Don't forget, if you got your camp form last week, if you can turn it in today, that'd be great. You're able to get a discount, a $25 discount on summer camp. We're looking forward to that for both our juniors and our teens, and uh, so if you can uh, get that turned in. If you didn't receive a form for some reason and you'd like to get one, uh, make sure to see me after the service and love to get you one of those. Well, let's go ahead and dismiss our children out right now, Brother Josh, and uh, they're headed out. Alec is excited to go, so all right, they're all excited. He was just ahead of the rest of them. Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm so encouraged about what the Lord is doing and that God is at work. This past week, I got to attend a men's retreat, and there were three other men from our church that were there, as well as myself. And there was a group of guys, and we just got encouraged in the Word of God and in the Lord this week. It's so exciting to know that God is at work, isn't it? You know, this week, it was uh, almost discouraging, on one hand, to hear some of the testimonies of things that were going on, but then encouraging at the same time. Do you know what I mean by that? How things can be discouraging at first, but then it's encouraging when you know that God is still in control. We we had to fly out for this retreat, and then we picked up another man that I had never met before. This man was from Georgia, and we picked him up at the airport to take him out with us to the place where we were all staying. And uh, as this man began to talk, we just learned kind of his fascinating life. He'd lived in several different places around the country, and and he shared with us a testimony from Romans 8, 28, of how all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But you know, as you listen to his life, we heard a lot of things that were not good. And yet, as he continued to share that testimony, we heard how though they weren't good things initially, they worked together for good. And I was very burdened for him. His name's Greg. If you think about it, pray for Greg. He, his wife just found out last summer she has cancer. And they'd been doing treatments. They thought it was getting better. And then just recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, it came back with a vengeance. And they haven't given her long to live. But So that's discouraging a bit. But what was encouraging is after spending several days together, praying together and sharing God's word and and hearing what God was doing in different people's lives. Greg at the last Friday on Friday night, he said, I think this, this retreat, these three days, he said, this has saved my life. And people were like, well, what do you mean, Greg? And he said, I was shut down. He said, you know, I'm the I'm the dad, I'm the grandpa, I'm I'm the man, I'm supposed to be tough and strong. And he said, but I I don't know what to do with this situation I'm going through with with my wife. He said, but this weekend of just spending time being encouraged, he said, I was reminded that God is good. And that even though we are facing the loss of my wife, he said, I know where she's going. I know she knows the Lord. And while it's going to be hard to lose her, we don't sorrow as those that don't have hope. That's what Freddie just read to us at the end of this chapter, that we can comfort one another with these words. the hope that Jesus loves us, that Jesus died for us, and that Jesus has given us a home in heaven. And if we have eternal life, if our sins have been forgiven, we have hope. And so while it was discouraging to hear some of the difficulties, it was encouraging to know and to be reminded, That God is still in charge. That God still loves us and that God cares for us and that He helps us through the difficulties that we face in life. You're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to give just a really quick overview of what we looked at last Sunday because I think that will help us as we jump into where we're at today. At the beginning of chapter 4, we are challenged to continue to walk in faithfulness and serve God. We are challenged to continue to, as he says, abound more and more. To do more and more of what God wants us to do. And then he starts to get specific. He says that it is God's will for us to be sanctified. Now to be sanctified is to the process of becoming holy. Becoming more like jesus christ the bible speaks about this in another passage of scripture as it talks about in ephesians about the process of putting off taking off those things that are wicked and sinful laying aside the wickedness and then renewing our minds that we fill our minds with god's word and god's truth and then we put on the new man we begin to walk in holiness and righteousness and truth And we're challenged here to live holy lives. Now, we live in a world that is far from holy, wouldn't you agree? We, in ourselves, in our own struggle, our own sin, can find ourselves far from being holy. And yet, God has commanded us to live holy lives. He says that we are to live this because it's the way to have a right relationship with God, but we're also to live holy lives because it's how we have a right relationship with others. He says in verse 6 that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. If we live unholy lives, we can end up taking advantage of other people. And that's wrong, isn't it? And yet we live in a world where many people take advantage of other people. And he says in verse 7, For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. If you remember last week, we talked about it, I said, this is, this is difficult. This is heavy stuff. To change the way that we're living requires God's help. It's not something that I can do in my own strength or you can do in your own strength. We need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's direction. See, here in the last two chapters of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we'll begin next week looking at chapter 5, he's getting very practical with us about how to live our life. We've been thinking about our theme for the year of advancing and taking the next spiritual step, and while that sounds good to talk about, and it is good to talk about, while it sounds exciting in the concept, there's the reality of what that actually looks like in our life. Because it's one thing to say, yes, I want to go forward. It's another thing to actually go forward, right? It's one thing, I remember as a youth pastor, I had the opportunity to work with lots of teenagers and I would hear some of them have big dreams and big plans. Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to accomplish this with my life. And I'd say, okay, that's great. Now, what steps are you taking to actually get there? Right? It's one thing to have a big dream. It's another thing to take the steps to accomplish that dream. And sometimes for us as human beings, I think we can get so excited about the big dream that we never are faithful in the day-to-day steps required to get where we want to go. The reality is it doesn't matter whose story you read some famous person, some entrepreneur, some person that started a business, or even just a a faithful missionary that served God and preached the gospel and and won people to Christ, while you read about the wonderful things that they did, we often miss the day-to-day, little by little, moment by moment, way that it is required to live a life for God. I think of A missionary, a lady by the name of Mary Slessor. She was a missionary who served God for many years over in China. One woman, people said, Well, you can't do it, you're just a woman. You can't do it, you're all by yourself. You know, she served in out of the way places. She she never started any big churches, she worked primarily with young girls and orphans, ladies. Did you know Mary Slessor was instrumental not only in sharing the gospel and seeing hundreds and, and then thousands come to Christ, she was also instrumental in seeing the entire Chinese government outlaw the practice of foot binding. Do you know what that was? It was a cultural thing, and when little girls were born, they would bind their feet. This was back in the, many years ago. They would bind up their feet so that their feet would never grow. It was considered beautiful to have really, really small feet. But it would cause their feet to be deformed, so the women in China couldn't even walk really on their own. You say, well, that's an awful practice. You know, people left to themselves do awful things to each other. It's called sin. But God used that woman in a powerful way, not only to share the gospel with all these people, but also to minister now to generations of Chinese ladies who probably don't even know her name because she served God faithfully day by day. And while I'm thankful for the things God is doing in our church and He's done some wonderful things, I got a text this morning from somebody who said, Pastor, would it be okay if I was baptized? Yeah, that'd be okay. So I said, yes, let's talk about that. that. That's encouraging. God's doing a lot of good things. But if we want to continue to advance forward for the cause of Christ, we need to realize that each of us has a responsibility to live faithfully day by day to what God calls us to do. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the things He calls us to is holiness. That we are to live holy lives. But today, this morning, I want us to continue on in the passage. We're going to look at beginning in verse 9. Not only are we to live holy lives, he's also called us to love others. Living holy lives is important, and and if I'm living a life full of sin, I really can't love others like I should. Instead, I'll end up doing what it says in verse 6. I'll end up taking advantage of other people because it's selfish. Selfishness is not love. There might be moments of love, right, but not a consistent love in my life as it should be. It requires a life of selflessness, of giving up of my own selfish desires to serve somebody else. A holy life allows me to love others better. And he speaks about that. Let's read that in verse number 9. He says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Let me pause for a second because he's not reprimanding these people. You need to love one another. He's saying you're already doing it. I'm thankful for a church that loves one another. I'm thankful to know people like you that love other people. That's a blessing. But before we rest on our laurels too much and say, yes, we are good people, realize Paul challenges these people. He says that you increase more and more. He says you're already doing good things. You're already loving other people. Keep doing it and do it even more and do it even more. And then he gets practical here on some of what this looks like. Look at verse 11. And that you study to be quiet. Now this morning, just a few minutes, I'm going to, I hope help you tie this passage together in your mind so you understand how studying to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands, how that relates to love. But I think it does. It's right here in the context of what he's talking about. He says, "...as we have commanded you," verse 12, "...that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing." I want us to look at, first of all, this morning, the freedom of your holy love. The freedom of your holy love. He's just finished the section of the chapter speaking about holiness. I would tell you this morning that holiness helps you to love others better. It gives you the freedom to love. When your life is full of sin, when your life is full of selfishness, when your life is full of pride, it keeps you from loving as well as you could love. Now we could all think of people and you're probably thinking of somebody like this in your mind. Well, I know somebody that's not holy and yet they still love. Sure. But do you think they could love better? Do you think I could love better? Do you think you could love better? I think we all could. What often keeps us from loving like we should? It's our own selfish choices. It's a father who chooses to go and satisfy his own desires rather than be at home taking care of his wife and kids. may not be that he doesn't love them, but he loves something else too. It's not a holy, pure love. It's a mother, perhaps, who's so busy with all of her stuff going on and she doesn't have time to take care of the primary people in her life. may not be that she doesn't love them, it's just she loves some other things too. It could be a child who runs away and and disregards the things that their parents have taught them. It's not that they don't love their parents anymore. It's just that they love some other things too. And the reality for all of us is this, that when our love is an unholy love or when we live unholy lives and we have other things clouding our judgment and clouding our focus, we cannot love as well as we ought. And we can't love like Christ loved us. That's why God's love was so wonderful towards us because it was a love that was willing to sacrifice. Jesus had not any amount, He had no selfishness at all. When He came and loved us, He completely gave up everything so that He could care for us. It was a holy love. And I would tell you this morning that Holy living gives you freedom to love better, to love more. So let's talk about that, what that looks like this morning. How do we love more and more? That's what he tells us to do here. He says, you already know how to love, but I want you to abound in this, to, that you increase in it more and more. Well, what kind, Let's talk about what kind of love they were already doing. He says, well, you were taught of God to love one another, right? God teaches us to love one another. He says, you're already doing it towards the brethren which are in Macedonia. This was in all the area around Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a city. Macedonia is an area. So it'd be like Houston is a city, Texas is a is a state, right? So it's a it's a bigger area. There were multiple cities within Macedonia, and there were believers in these different cities. Paul had started a church in Philippi. Paul went on to Berea and started a church there. He went to Corinth. These were all cities that were in and around the region that was known as Macedonia. And one of the things Paul did is he traveled around from city to sti- city and started churches he would then introduce those churches to one another, and they could encourage and they could help one another. And that is a blessing. Isn't it so encouraging when churches work together and when groups of people, yes, they don't see each other every day, but they encourage one another. I'm thankful, like I already mentioned in my prayer this morning, Brother Winston de is encouraging another church this morning. My dad and mom have an opportunity to be an encouragement to another church today. My brother and his wife are at the church where they used to live in California this morning seeing some friends and being encouragement to those people there. We can be an encouragement to other churches and other churches are an encouragement to us. This summer we've got a group coming down from a church to help us put on a youth rally and three nights of special things for our teenagers to try to encourage them in the Lord. That's another church being a blessing to us. We've had other churches come and help paint walls and and fix things around our building. We've had other churches come in and help us hand out flyers and invitations in our community. It's a blessing when churches love one another. That's part of what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And that's what Paul says here in this passage. He says, you already love one another. You're already doing it. You're already ministering to these other people. You're already praying for them. You're sending support. You're encouraging them that ought to be happening. But he says, I want you to increase in this more and more. So don't stop. Don't say, well, we've done enough. Say, how can we do more? I'm thankful as well that our church is now partnering with different missionaries that are serving the Lord in various places around the world. And I'm looking forward to introducing those more and more to you as we go along. This morning, of course, time is a little bit different, but we have a missionary family in the, in the country of Uganda. And they have an orphanage over there, and they're serving God. And they have a church over there, and they have a school over there. And they're ministering to people in that country today. We have a, a family that are, that are missionaries really close to them. Relatively close. It's a big, big area, but in our minds, relatively close. They're in the country of Kenya, and they're serving the Lord over there this morning and working hard to do what God wants them to do and minister to people. We have a missionary this morning that's serving God down in Mexico, and he's sharing the gospel down there and ministering to churches and to pastors and people. We have a missionary this morning who's serving God over in Russia. He's in the country of Russia, and it's a very Interesting place right there now, being an American citizen, living and working in Russia, but God is using him to serve the Lord over there. And it's exciting that even this past week, we sent out the missionary support checks and then to get some notes back. Thank you, we received the gift and here's what God is doing. And I've got about 14 letters in my email inbox that just came in this week from missionaries that are serving God around the world. And you take those families and then you look at Literally, the hundreds and even thousands of people that then they have the opportunity to minister to, it's pretty exciting what happens when churches love one another and serve God together because it expands our influence. It gives us an opportunity to minister beyond just our own local area. And I'm thankful, though, for the ministry that God gives us in our local area because here's the reality, folks. Again, back to my earlier idea of it's fun to think about a big dream and a big idea, but then it comes down to, all right, so what am I going to do? How can I be faithful? How can I love more and more? See, that's what Paul explains for us in these next several verses, that we can love one another and we ought to do it more and more, but you say, well, how do we do it? Verse 11, And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So he gives us three things here in talking about love. And yet these three things, I don't think we would naturally think, oh yeah, that makes sense, that somehow fits with love. But when Paul wrote this, he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost God was telling him what to write, and God never makes a mistake when he writes something down. So he wants us to understand this. So let's look at these three things. Study to be quiet, do your own business, and to work with your own hands. So the study to be quiet, there's two different words in the Greek that, are, that can both be translated into the English quiet. One word means quiet like don't talk too loud. Another word has the idea of being settled. And you probably know this. If you don't, here you go. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek originally. And so it's helpful sometimes to go back and look at the Greek to understand, all right, which word did he use? Quiet is a wonderful translation. And we use it this way sometimes, the idea of being settled. Settle down. Settled. So how can we be settled? He says that you study or work hard to be settled. In other words, not a noisy life, always taking from or demanding something from somebody else. Be settled. You know, it's um, some people live lives live lives that require a lot of input from other people to be able to make it. And then there's other people that are just settled. They're settled. There's a lot that goes into being settled, right? It's the idea of being content. I'm content with what God has given me. I'd be thankful if God gave me more, but I'm thankful with what He's given me. Right now, I'm I'm settled. See, when we're so focused on ourselves and, all right, how can I get more for me and run this way and that way and do another thing? It often becomes very self-focused, inward-focused. I'm not really settled, so I'm not able to demonstrate love to others as I should. Because my life is so noisy and complicated, and I've added in all this extra stuff just to fill me up so I don't have anything to give back to serve someone else. My life is not settled. I would tell you it takes a lot of work to have a settled life, doesn't it? Because what often happens? The moment you feel like I've got it and things are settled, something new pops up. Somebody gets sick. Somebody loses a job. Some change in situation goes on. And all of a sudden, my life is thrown into chaos. I think that's why he tells us this morning, study to be quiet. In other words, this is going to take a lot of effort. It's a consistent, constant work that is required in our life to find a place that is Settled because we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a very unsettled, a very loud, noisy world with lots of things going on. Other people, family members, friends bring noise into our lives. So, what he's not saying here is just cut everybody off and go live in a cave somewhere where it's completely quiet all the time. And yet, for some of us, that's what we'd kind of like to do sometimes, isn't it? Like, ah, just give me a break from all of the noise. I think this goes back to, to me, this ties in very well with what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. But in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. We live in a very noisy world. And yet he tells us here, if, I'm, if I want to love more and more, I need to study to be quiet. How do I find quietness, peace? settledness in my life when all of the crazy is going on around me it can only be found in my relationship with Christ your family may bring a lot of noise into your life The Bible doesn't say cut your family off your friends may bring a lot of difficulty with them they're having struggles the Bible doesn't say cut your friends off Your work may bring a lot of struggle in your life. It doesn't say, quit working. No, it says, study to be quiet. How do we find peace in the midst of the storm? How did the disciples find it? They didn't find peace in the boat. They found peace in the master of the storm. The one who could say, peace, be still, and he could calm it. See, if we're going to study to be quiet, that's a walking in a closer and closer relationship with God. The closer you are to God, the more you will have ability to love others as you should. But to have a close relationship with God takes a lot of work. One of the things that I was challenged about this past week at the men's retreat, one of the men said, you are as close to God as you want to be. So how close to God are you? Well, as close as you want to be right now. If you want to be closer, you can be. God's there. God hasn't moved. God is always the same. He never changes. But that's where it goes back to the holiness, right? (laughs) Because what separates me from God? It's sin. So how do I come back to God? I confess the sin, make it right with Him, come into a close relationship with Him. As we study to be quiet, we can love others better doesn't mean that God's going to remove all the problems out of your life, that you're never going to have another struggle. But he says, I'll be with you in the storm. I'll be with you in your struggle. I'll be with you so that you then can have peace in your own heart so now you can love somebody else as you should. So he says, study to be quiet. He says the second thing, and to do your own business. Well, that's pretty easy for us to understand. Mind your own business. When we're so busy talking about everybody else's problems and not taking care of our own, we can get ourselves in trouble, can't we? You know, if you're ever feeling bad about yourself, just start thinking about how bad everybody else is and it'll make you feel better. That's how we live sometimes, isn't it? Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Do you know what they said? Do you know what they did? Did you hear about this? Oh, may God keep us from ever becoming a church where that goes on. The Bible calls that gossip. It says, mind your own business. And to do your own business. This means to take care of your own affairs. It takes work. It takes focus. It takes a willingness to deal with my own thing. Often when we face problems and struggles in our own life, it's nice to just ignore it, sweep it under the rug. I mean, we see this in our house all the time. My wife and I talk about this. We're like, we wish laundry would just do itself. (laughs) But you know what? We can't just grab all those clothes and throw them in the trash and go buy more. You know, we we got to do our business. So your business could include your laundry? Yeah. I wish my house would clean itself. You know, we can spend all day cleaning the house and the kids can have it messy in 10 minutes. How do they do it? It's a talent, right, kids? It's a talent. It's their superpower, right? And so we can get so upset and frustrated with it, right? Study to be quiet. Or we can do our business, take care of what needs to be taken care of. But to do that requires discipline, doesn't it? Discipline is a very difficult thing to develop in your life. Most of us don't like discipline. We might like other people to be disciplined, but we don't want to be disciplined ourselves. If I'm going to love others more, I need to be disciplined in my own life, focus on my own business... Do what I need to do, take care of of my responsibilities so that I can love others more. I I tell you, today this was brought up to me in a whole new way because my brother's not here today, my mom's not here today, and Alan usually leads singing, and mom usually plays the piano, and if mom's not here, Laura usually plays the piano. So here I am, third string. (laughs) I didn't want to play the piano today. It's hard to do multiple things all at once. I'm thankful for people that do their business so that others can focus on their business. If I had to do this every Sunday, it would be too much to 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 focus and do what I need to do. I'm so thankful for ladies this morning that are taking care of children right next door here and for brother Josh that's preaching to boys and girls over there. Why he he's doing that business and they're doing that business and others got here early and set up and made coffee and put out donuts and put flags and turned the heat on and did everything. People all focused on their business. And why? We're able to love others better that way, aren't we? But think about what it would be like if nobody did their business, if nobody focused on what they were supposed to focus on, and we showed up. We might be frustrated this morning. You would have been cold. You wouldn't have had your donut that you wanted. You wouldn't have had your coffee. Right? We couldn't have loved each other as well. That works at, that, that's true at home, that's true at work, and it's so hard to do because all of us end up getting selfish at times. We don't show love for others like we should, and we're like, well, I'm just going to relax and not do what I'm supposed to do and expect someone else to carry, pick up the slack for me, someone else to make up the difference. That's not focusing on your business. We love others better when we are careful to take care of our own responsibilities to do your own business. See, that doesn't sound very spiritual, very theological. No, it's extremely spiritual, and it's extremely theological because it's what God has commanded us to do, but it's also extremely practical. You know, this week I was out of town for a few days. I came back. I didn't have to come up here last night And vacuum the floors and clean the bathrooms. Brother Larry, he's my man. He's my friend. He's taking care of that. And you know what? It ministers to all of us. See, sometimes we feel like the thing that we're doing, whether it's at home, whether it's at church, whether it's at work, you say, why does this really matter? Nobody cares whether I'm there or not. No one cares what I'm doing or not doing. My job is just a little job. My job is a quiet job. My job is a behind-the-scenes job. No. When you're part of the body of Christ, every person matters. And when you do your own business, you're, you're able to show love better to everybody else. If if Linda didn't make her cookies, there'd probably be some folks downtown that'd be missing those cookies if she didn't do her business. she it's just a few cookies. That means something to somebody. If somebody said, well, I just... Those babies, they can change their own diapers. Do your business, right? We, we need folks to help us with that. Oh, the children can take care of themselves in junior church, or... The windows will wash themselves. No. It takes work. The reality, if we want to advance forward, as God would have us do in our own lives as a church, yeah, it's not always glamorous. It's not always exciting. Sometimes it means sweating and getting a little dirty and tired, and I don't really feel like it. But he says, if you're going to show love one for another, brotherly love for one another... Do your own business. Take care of your responsibilities. And then thirdly, he says, and to work with your own hands. This is the idea of being willing to work hard. Get your hands dirty. Get out there and work. Your own hands. Don't expect somebody else to just take care of it for you. Work with your own hands. God's given you, the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Do it with thy might. Do it with everything you have. You say, well, I can't do everything they can do. Well, but you can do something. Well, I can't. Quit worrying about what you can't do. Do what God's given you to do. Work hard and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And then in verse 12, he gives us two benefits. If we are showing love one for another, brotherly love as we should, he says in verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Two things. The first one, brotherly love points others to Christ. He says here, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. Who are those that are without? Those are the people that are outside of the church. Those are people that haven't trusted Christ as their Savior. They haven't become part of the church. Do you think our love one for another... Helps us to be able to minister better to those that are without? Absolutely does. Think about it. If you came into a church, and you came in visit instead of a place where people are showing love for one another, all you hear is everybody's a mess, right? "Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody's running in late. Everybody's running around. The kids are a mess. Nobody's taking care of them in there. Nobody's doing their business. The bathrooms aren't clean. The place is just just looks like nobody's touched it in a while, nobody wants to work hard, pastor gets up and says, let's do this, and nobody shows up to help, or nobody's a part of anything. Do you think you're going to be able to minister to those that are without? No. When you don't have your own act together, it's hard to be a blessing to somebody else. And some of us feel like we don't have our act together sometimes. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I'm figuring it out as I go. Yes, I understand. I'm not telling you that we're perfect or we've got it all together. What I'm saying is this is what we ought to be striving towards. Studying to be quiet. Do your own business. Work hard. Work with your own hands. So that you can walk honestly towards those that are without. I mean, think about it. Churches are often accused of being very hypocritical that's dishonest to be a hypocrite is being dishonest it's saying one thing and doing something else i mean how sad is it if we're sitting here saying we have the answer we have the joy of the lord we have salvation and yet our lives are all just a mess like everybody else's well then that's not walking honestly towards those are without is it hey we can help you and then you come in no we're not going to help you well that doesn't help anybody Walk honestly towards those without. And then the second thing he says so, brotherly love points others to Christ. Brotherly love also encourages you to provide for yourself. He says, and that ye may have lack of nothing. You want to have what you need? Study to be quiet, be settled. Don't be discontent with what you have. Work hard to take care of what God has given you, do your own business. Work hard. Work with your own hands. Now, are there times when you get into a situation and as hard as you work, there's just not enough you can do? That's why the body's here. When the toe gets bruised, the fingers can come minister to the toe, right? But when the finger gets hurt, the toes help the feet to walk over to the place where the finger can get helped. And so what he's saying here is not that you can't ever help anybody out or that you shouldn't work and, and encourage those that are needy. What he's saying here is work hard to take care of your own things so that you can have more to give to others so that you can have enough of what you need so that you can minister to somebody else. Does that make sense? It's really simple, practical stuff. And yet, sometimes I think we think things, there's like practical stuff, and then there's Bible stuff. Or there's things that work, and then there's what God says to do. No, it works because it's what God says to do. It's practical, and it's right, it's true, because it came from God. I was with, there were a bunch of businessmen at this retreat this week, and they were talking about different things in business. Now, what was interesting, these are Christian businessmen, some of them extremely successful, And they would tell you the reason they were so successful is because they followed God's word. You know, God's word has really good business principles that you ought to treat others like you want to be treated. That's good for business. But it's good for business because it's true. It's true because it comes from God. That you ought to be honest and not take advantage of somebody else. That's good for business. Because it's true. It's true because it comes from God. That you ought to work hard, take care of your own needs. That's a good business principle. It's a good principle because it's true. It's true because it comes from God. Brotherly love encourages you to provide for yourself. So we've seen in chapter 4 this command to live holy lives. And then... Verses 9 through 12, this command to love others. And then he finishes out. Verses 13 through 18 with some words of encouragement. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. See, we can get the understanding that we're supposed to live holy lives. We can see that we're supposed to love others, but some of us might come to a place and we say, what's the point? Why are we doing this? And that's why verse 13 through 18, there. don't be ignorant. When you're ignorant of something, that means you just don't know. It's not wrong to be ignorant, but it's wrong to stay ignorant when someone's trying to give you the truth. That's why children go to school. It's because they're ignorant. They don't know. They need somebody to teach them. And for some of you, maybe in your spiritual life, you say, I'm a a bit ignorant of what I need to be doing. That's okay. But don't, don't be comfortable staying there. How can I learn? So he's saying, don't be ignorant. Concerning them which are asleep, he's talking about those who have died. He's calling it sleep because... Their soul's in heaven with Jesus, but their bodies in the grave. He says, don't be ignorant. See, there was a concern among them of what would happen with that body. What's happened to that person when they died? He says, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. Isn't that wonderful? So if your loved one died believing in Jesus, what do you have to believe? Here it's very clear. Believe that Jesus died and rose again. See, yes, Jesus died for your sins, but the resurrection, Paul says, if Christ be not raised, then we are of all men most miserable. Without the resurrection, the death isn't enough. Because if he didn't rise again, that means he didn't have power over death. And he does. That's why we don't have to sorrow. He says, so if they died believing that Jesus died and rose again, he says, God will bring them with him. Isn't that exciting? Can you imagine what it's going to be like on that day? He describes it a little bit more here, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, verse 16, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump in, of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So he says God's going to bring them with him. So here's how I think it's going to happen. And it hasn't happened yet, so, but I think this is the way it is, understanding this passage. So their souls are up in heaven with God right now. So they're going to come down with Him. The dead in Christ, their bodies are going to be raised. So there's going to be this giant reunion happening in the sky of these bodies of those who have died in Christ with their souls right there. And then it says, then we which are alive and remain, so all the rest of us who are still living who know Christ, we're going to then join them in the air That's going to be exciting. I got to fly in a plane this week. Let me tell you, it's going to be nothing like what happens when Jesus comes back. That's going to be a lot better, isn't it? Oh, won't have to stand in any TSA lines. <laughs> won't have to get padded down. Woo. <laughs> That's going to be good. Won't have to check a bag. You know what? You're not taking anything with you. Lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. No, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Folks, all that stuff we're working for in this life, make sure it counts for the Lord. Because we're going to be in heaven with Him someday if we believe in Jesus Christ. I hope that if you're here this morning, you are believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in Him that you've confessed your sin. You've turned from your own wicked way. And that you've called upon the Lord to save you from your sin. If you haven't, you can do that this morning. So you can be part of this group. If you don't know for sure, I will, I'll, I'll take as long as, it's, as you need it skip lunch dinner it doesn't matter that's more important because no man knows the day or the hour when jesus is coming back and no man knows the day or the hour when his life might end i hope you're ready if you're not you can be ready you can i mean think about it if you told me right now all right Pastor, we're going on a trip. I'd say, hang on, i got to run home and pack my bag. I've got to go get a few things. I've got to go take care of a few stuff. I've got to make a few phone calls. Then I'll be ready. You say, well, but to come on this trip, we got to leave right now. Then I'd probably tell you, well, <laughs> I probably can't come on the trip. Spiritually speaking, there is a day coming. And when that day comes, when Jesus comes back, There's not going to be time to go pack the bag. There's not going to be time to run, make the last few phone calls. Go say the last goodbyes. He says it's going to happen. It's going to be a shout. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. And what a great way to show love for others, to be able to share with them the truth so that they can be ready, so they can know the truth. And he says, and so shall we ever be with God the Lord that'll be great and then that last verse wherefore comfort one another with these words you need comfort there's comfort in Jesus there's comfort in the Lord I was thinking a while back though of one of my family members that died and I don't think they knew the Lord It's sad. But you know what that really has motivated me to do? Is share the gospel with everybody I can. It's too late for them, but it's not too late for those that are still living. It's not too late. I want you to think with me one thing as we close this morning with the message. We got a quite a bit of empty space in here this morning. A lot of people out for various things. But I want you to imagine, if you will, if there's maybe an empty seat next to you or an empty seat in front of you, an empty seat behind you. I want you to think of somebody. Think of somebody. Maybe it's somebody you love. Maybe it's a friend, relative, coworker, somebody that you know. See, I think this is important for us to think of who could be in that seat of a person. Cuz I don't know about you. I I've, I've probably sat in I don't know 5,000, 10,000 sermons in my life. Heard a lot of them. Some of them I know God really spoke to me through and he changed me through it. Others I just went on and it was kind of back to the same old same old. But I want you to think of somebody that they're not here this morning, probably. Maybe they're away, traveling, maybe they're sick, maybe, maybe it's somebody that's never been to our church before, but it's somebody that needs to know the truth. Do you know who they are? Can you see them? You see their face? You know what their name is? Where they live. Maybe you don't know what they're doing this morning, but maybe you have an idea of what they're doing this morning. There are people this morning that are in bed still. There are people this morning that are up and around, but they're just taking it slow. It's a Sunday. It's it's their day to relax and do what they want to do. There are people this morning just outliving their lives. And you know what? If you went and talked to them this morning, most of them probably wouldn't be that concerned about their spiritual well-being. They're, they're just busy doing what they're doing. You know, they're catching up on some sleep. They're busy at work. They're busy doing something, enjoying time with family, maybe doing very good, nice things. But for whatever reason, they either don't know the truth or they know it and they've never responded to it. I would just ask you, as you think about that person this morning, to ask God as we close the service here, God, give me an opportunity to encourage that person this week, to share some truth with that person this week, to show love to them this week. And the greatest act of love that you could show them is introducing them to the one who died for them, Jesus. You say, well, when I think of that person, I don't know how they'll respond. That's a concern. I I don't know what they'll say. Yeah, They might not like it. This is where you need God's help. See, this is the wonderful advantage we have when we're sharing the gospel. As God lays them on our heart, maybe God's laid somebody on your heart this morning, God can already be over there working on them before you ever get there. God might be bringing something into their life, some difficulty, some struggle, some pain, and they may be going, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to figure it out. And maybe you're of going and just asking them how they're doing, asking, how can I pray for you? Asking them, hey, it, has anybody ever showed you how you can know, have hope, believe in Jesus? that God might allow that conversation to start and continue. You might be able to share the truth of Jesus with them. That would be a wonderful thing. Advance. Win one. Lead one. Follow one. Take one. How do we take those next spiritual steps? It's really practical. It's living a holy life. Confessing my sin and asking God to help me live right before Him because when I allow all that junk in my system... It keeps me from living for God like I should. It's living and having brotherly love towards others. Because when I'm living focused on myself I'm not ever going to minister to that person in the empty seat. Because I got all my own stuff. I'm so self-focused I have no time for anybody else. I want to encourage you to follow God. To trust God. To ask God what can I do to be faithful to you and minister to that man, that woman, that boy, that girl in that empty seat this morning. But if you're going to minister to them, it's got to start with you. God, what do I, is there a sin that I need to confess? God, is there something in my own life I've allowed all the distractions and craziness to keep me so focused on everything I got going? God, I need to just give that to you and ask for peace. God, I need to focus on doing my own business, taking care of what I need to do. I've allowed some stuff to slide and just ignore it and hope that it'll go away. Maybe someone else can come and pick it up for me and just say, God, I need to go back and just be faithful to what you've called me to do. Because often what happens, the, one, the best, I think, ministry opportunities often happen in the regular, everyday rhythms of life. Going to the grocery store, you're going to the bank, you're dropping the kids off at school, you're at work, you're talking with your neighbor next door, as you're faithful to do what God's called you to do, as you're settled in your own spirit, in your walk with the Lord, as you love others as you should, God gives opportunities and opens doors, and you say, here's the hope, here's the answer. Here's why I can be quiet. Here's why I can live a holy life. Here's why I have love for others, because look what Jesus has done for me. And He can do that for you too. What's God spoken to you about this morning? Maybe He's spoken to you about somebody that you're thinking of that's in that empty seat that you need to pray for them. You need to look at how you can go to them. Maybe God's spoken to you about something in your own heart. Say, God, I need to get this right this morning. Because I want to be able to minister to that person. But until some of this gets fixed, I don't know how I'm ever going to go help them. And let's see what God would have us to do to advance. Take one. I want encourage you take one step. Maybe it's a step towards God. Being closer to Him. You're as close to God as you want to be. Maybe it's a step towards somebody else to share the gospel. And trust God to be with you on the second step. Father, I pray that You'd help us. Work in our hearts. Lord, the reality of these things is that while we can think about them and talk about them, talk about living a holy life, talk about loving others, talk about heaven, the reality of living with the conviction and confidence that Jesus is coming back, and it could be at any time, that's often far from where we're at. Lord, we need your help. I pray that as we finish the service this morning, if there's somebody that doesn't know you as their Savior, they would trust you today. For someone here today who knows you as their Savior, but they've not been walking with you, I pray that they would confess their sin and get that relationship restored. Help us to be able to love others as we should. Share the gospel, the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, I'd ask you to stand to your feet as the piano plays. If you need to pray, I can pray with you down here. You can find someone else to pray with. You can pray in your seat there. But If God spoke to your heart this morning, I'd ask that you'd give it to Him. Trust Him. If you need to know Jesus as your Savior, let me know and I'll get somebody with you or I'll come take you myself and show you how you can be saved. Don't pass up an opportunity to follow Christ.